and welcome back to another episode of Queer, Black, and Awkward. If you're wondering what this podcast is about, what I do on this podcast is I interview different members of the LGBT community and we just have a real talk about issues that are surrounding the issues that we have faced or that are surrounding us. So on today's episode, I have with me Kristen, if you can introduce yourself. Hey, I'm Kristen, and I am the founder of The Dress Code Project. And The Dress Code Project is essentially an alliance of salons that have pledged to create safer spaces within their salons for the LGBTQ plus community so that we can all get fair haircuts. So maybe give them like a little background of where you're from or if you're originally from Toronto. I'm originally from Hamilton, so it's like 45 minutes west of Toronto. And uh, I lived in Toronto for about 13 years now. And uh, yeah, I live in uh, the East Toronto area. The East Side, the East Side. On today's episode, what we're going to discuss is just Kristen's background and a bit about her past, because I do digging on the people that come on here, because there is the trail, you know, on the internet, and I couldn't find much about you on the internet. You're very elusive. So (laughs) this episode is going to be let the people know if they want to know more about you. You know, get a little bit information because it was hard to find anything about you. So also what I do on this podcast is I ask my guest, what's their mood and color? You know, just to let settle the mood a bit. So I'll start first. My mood right now is, I would say, content and my color is black so what's your mood and color my mood is uh it's pretty i'd say it's pretty happy today um it's it's sunny out finally so that is just and it's sunday which is nice it's my first day off for the week so that's always nice it's a good combination my color i don't know feeling yellow okay yeah i don't really know why And also, if you would like to know whenever the podcast is going to be up or follow any social media, I have a Facebook and Instagram and SoundCloud. They're all at Queer, Black, and Awkward. So you can just follow that and see when the next episode is going to be up. So on my first up, on my first question that I'm going to ask you is, was being a hairdresser? Something you always had in mind growing up? No. No, it wasn't. No. What, uh, what was your initial... I, well, I went to school for film and uh, and television. Um, and I, I, I liked it a lot. But I focused on screenwriting. And um, so I have an education in that. And then I did that for, I guess, years. 
And then uh, I really didn't love working in the film industry itself. I like writing a lot, but I didn't love working in the film industry. And uh, yeah, one day I was talking to my mom and my mom's a hairstylist. She was like, you should be a hairdresser. You'd be really good at it. And I was like, hmm, I don't know. But then I thought, oh, you know what? Like, that's a nice way to like, you know, have a pretty steady job and be creative and not be behind a desk every day. Mm -hmm. So I just decided to go to school for it. And that was it. What what did you not like about like the film industry, like per se, that made you question one day that it was not for you anymore? Long, long hours. <laughs> it was like crazy days, you know, and uh, I was a little bit younger and I didn't love having to commit so much time mm -hmm. because you are there for 12 hours at least, but then you could be there for 16 hours sometimes. So as you start to like, think of that at first, you're like, Oh, I make decent money and I'm young. And then you're like, I've been here for 16 hours a day for seven days. I'm not making as much money anymore because mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm here way longer, you know? So, and it was just a lot of, I mean, it was a lot of work and I'm not, you know, it wasn't work that I was overly passionate about. I love writing. And I think that's what I loved about film. So when I started working in the industry, it was much harder in Canada to get into writing then. So I just thought this is like, this isn't really what I love. This isn't why I did this. And so I wanted to find something that I really loved doing every day. And you said that, so you were, how long were you working when you went, did you speak to your mom and then your mom suggested to be a hairdresser? Yeah. Like I had thought about for a bit, I, I thought, thought about quitting film and doing something else, but I didn't know what else I would do. And this is what I went to school for, you know? So I was talking to my mom one day. Yeah. And, uh, we were outside and she was hanging up laundry on the line in the summer. Mm -hmm. And she was just like, if you don't like it, do something else. She, that, that's when she said, you should think about being a hairstylist. Yeah. So when she, when she suggested that, did you like right away where you're like, okay, yeah, that's a great idea. Or did it take you some time to warm up to the idea? Yeah, definitely took me some time to warm up to it. But then once I decided I wanted to do it, then I was like, okay, I'm doing this. I registered for school. I moved to Toronto because at the time I was still, I owned a house and I was still living in Hamilton. Mm -hmm. So I, uh, yeah, I registered. I moved there on the weekend and then I started school like the next day for like a year straight, five mm -hmm. days a week. And I was older than all the other people that were there because they were kind of starting like a lot of people that were there were starting their first career so they were 19 20 and I was just sitting in the class the first day and I was like what the hell did I just do yeah, <laughs> yeah. so when you switched your career were you like in your mid-20s or no. 30s 30s early th early 30s early 30s okay Oh, you had like a, what is that? Quarter, quarter life crisis? <laughs> quarter life crisis. <laughs> quarter life crisis. <laughs> so when you, okay, so you, so then you're like, okay, I'm going to be a hairdresser. And then you moved to Toronto and then you went to school. What other steps did you take in order to like reach to that goal of becoming a hairdresser? I, when you're in school, you have to do like apprenticeship in a salon. So I did that while I was in school. Then when I was finished school, I started working in an, a salon in the Yorkville area of Toronto. Mm -hmm. And then they were opening up 
a new salon in the beach area of Toronto. And I volunteered to go there because I was still a junior stylist. Mm -hmm. So I didn't have like a gigantic clientele that I had to worry about to move. And I was thinking, oh, if I go there, like I'll be one of the newer stylists there. But I'll also be like there wouldn't be as many senior stylists there. So I'd probably get a client pretty clientele pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. And so I did that. And then I realized that I didn't really like working for other people. So and I wanted to open up my own salon. So I was able to kind of build a clientele there and then move a lot of my clients to the salon when I opened up my own. So where was the salon? Was it in the East End as well that you worked at? Yeah, it was in the East End in the beach. And I moved like five minutes down the road to Leslieville. Mm -hmm. And that's where I opened the salon. I have that in common. I hate, I hate working for people. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, now I'm like finding like, okay, what can I do in my life where I don't have to have a boss? That's like, I have to answer to. Cause I feel that it's so annoying. I hate authority. I hate when people tell me what to do. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm such a free spirit. I need to have my, like my own space to create and do things that I need and not have someone in top of me. Like you have to do this on time or you have this deadline and, it just stresses me out and I, and I can't even deal with it. So when you moved to Toronto, did you, were you here alone or did you have family? I just had friends here. I had a cousin here and I had friends here because I'd already been working in Toronto for a while. So I moved here. I had a house in Hamilton that I sold and then I lived in an apartment for two years in the village. <clears throat> and then... Um, yeah. And then I moved closer to the salon that I opened. Like I bought a house there and then I moved closer there. So that's where I live still. And so you were, you were figuring out what you wanted to do in life. Um, at that, in that moment in your time, that moment in your life, did you, were you figuring out your sexuality or your gender at that time or was it before or during that period or after it was way before that yeah I was I was really aware of the fact that I was not straight I think like I always think for whatever reason I don't know that I have any solid evidence of this but I always say I was nine and I don't know why that's just like what I remember uh-huh. um, but I definitely was very young I knew I, I knew for for sure that I was not straight and I remember like I was outside playing one day with a bunch of kids and this one boy ran off and he had to go pee and he like went around the corner to go pee and I was just like that is just not fair that sucks. And like, I wasn't like, I was a bit envious of it, but it was also for some reason, an awareness of my sexuality. Like I didn't, it wasn't intriguing in that way. I was intrigued in the sense that like, there was a part of me that was like, I wish I could do that. You know, like, I wish I had that privilege that, that cisgender males have. Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking all of these things, of course, I didn't use the terminology because I was young, but I was definitely young. And then through all through the rest of my life, like till it came out, I was very aware of a lot of things. And I remember, you know, again, because the back then it was not okay to come out. It wasn't okay to be out in high school. Um, like I remember just being very like, I know that I'm not straight and I can never live that kind of life. That would be terrible. 
So, so you knew when you were in high school, did you have like any secret crushes on any girls and then you attempt to make any moves? You know, like on maybe Valentine's Day, you send like a card or, you know, be my Valentine's and then underneath you put like a guy name or something. Like, did you attempt anything in high school? Because I don't want, I don't know if you're comfortable saying your age, but around like what time exactly? 60, was it the 70s? 80s? You're <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I was in high school. I'm 44. Okay. And I was in high school in, it was like, man 89 like yeah yeah and yes i did have like probably my first crush on someone like legitimate crush on someone in high school and uh we were 15 when we met and i changed high schools a lot because my parents moved a lot Mm -hmm. and so i had this friend her name is rachel and she was um trying to get me to come to the high school that she went to because she wanted me to play on the soccer team there and we played soccer in the summer together. And I was just like, I don't know. I think I might go back to the first high school that I ever went to because I wanted to switch high schools because I didn't like the one that I was in. So she was trying to get me to like know more people from her high school so that I'd like it and then I'd come there. And so once one summer we went out, like that summer we went out to a movie and she brought her friend Jennifer. And I remember looking at her and I was just like, oh my God, this girl is amazing right away. Like my heart was beating fast. I'm pretty sure my face probably went like a thousand shades of red. And I was just staring at her awkwardly. That was, yeah, that was just like <laughs> so awkward. But I, I don't think she knew, maybe. And then we became, we became friends. And of course I ended up going to that high school. Okay. Yeah, um, because she was there. That's the high school she went, that Jennifer went to. And, um, yeah, we, we became very quick friends and we did a lot of, like, we did everything together after that. We became best friends for sure. Yeah. And when you moved to Toronto, did you notice like the, is there a, is there a gay scene in Hamilton and is it as big as it is in Toronto or more accepting or what's the difference, like the LGBT community in Toronto versus Hamilton? There's definitely a gay community in Hamilton. I mean, I haven't lived there for a long time, but and I am now old, so I don't go out to bars and clubs and that sort of thing that much anymore. <laughs> but uh, there's definitely a gay community there. Um, and when I was growing up, it was awesome. Um, there was a really amazing club there that we all went to all of the time, and it was fantastic. Everyone would kind of go to that club because they played amazing music and you could just like dance all night and we had a great time. And so when when I was like probably in my early, like 20, 21, 22, probably until I left Hamilton, so like 32, we would always go to this club like not every weekend, but a lot, you know, mm-hmm. and we would all have a great time there the whole community was there but that was the most visible place for the community like in hamilton there wasn't like a church street like there is in toronto like a neighborhood as we call it you know Mm -hmm. there wasn't like a central you know street where a bunch of like queer owned shops were or anything like that so it was it was mostly this club that we went to yeah and then when you came to toronto did you did you like did you uh, did you immerse in the scene or were you just focused on your career? Uh, I was probably both like, but I was getting used to being a hairstylist because I moved to Toronto and then I was in school and then I became a hairstylist. So I was, was 
being a hairstylist, but it was all very new to me. So I wasn't, you know, totally immersed in it. And then, yeah, I lived right in the village. So it was nice to be so close to the community and be able to just like go walk and have a coffee and sit on, you know, on a patio in the community or have a beer or something like that. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, a lot of my friends hung out in the village as well. So do you, so you said that you knew like from a very young age, like you were aware of your sexuality did you did you question your gender at the same time or when did you question your gender I think I did at a young age very much question my gender I felt more like a a boy than I did a girl mm-hmm. um and I didn't identify with being a girl at all so I think I went through a stage where I really did feel like I was a boy and I wanted to be a boy, but I think that was being young and inexperienced and not really realizing exactly what I was going through and experimenting a lot. And, and then I, you know, as you grow and you try things and you like research things and stuff like that, I, I realized that I am a lesbian and happy being lesbian and, Um, but definitely on the like more masculine, androgynous, non-binary side of, of things for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah. Cause like now I find like for me, I saw like even in like the last 10 years, how even the community itself is so accepting with like different parts of like the LGBT community and like the shift of how now it's more acceptable to you know, to question your gender and places are more accessible and acceptable now. Did you like have, did you recognize like the shift in how society accepts people, you know, questioning their gender or in pursuits of being the gender that, you know, they identify with? Yeah, I think I definitely, I saw that shift happening um, because I think when it started to happen, I was already really aware of myself and my own identity and I was really comfortable with it. And also just doing hair in the community that I was doing hair in, you know, I, I'm, my salon is in a neighborhood where there's a really big queer population and there were, there was a lot of like, whatever you want to call it, gender bending. Like there was a lot of experimenting happening. So I would talk to clients every day that, you know, that one day they were doing this one day they were doing that, you know? Mm -hmm. And, um, so I think I started to become really aware because of hair, you know, like people, our closest and our easiest way of, of, of showing our outward identity, however we want that to be is, is through being able to like do a physical change and the easiest, quickest way and least inexpensive way, least expensive way rather is by getting a haircut, you know? So like one day I would cut someone's hair really short and they would present in a certain way and like maybe more masculine or non-binary. And then like maybe six months later, they'd be like, I want to grow it out you know? Mm -hmm. And so you just see this fluidity happening, you know? And now, like, honestly, I think, I think that the future is diversity and diversity within our community is huge. And we have this, like, we are like on this charge right now where we are just like running hard, you know, and we're leading the way when it comes to that. And we are very much not about labels. And if we are using labels, it's only because people are asking us, you know? But we're definitely on this like up uprise where mm-hmm. and we are leading it. Like our community is just killing it right now. Yeah. Yeah. 
I agree to honestly because it, like it shows in every facet of life like in in like the LGBT community music and movies like it's getting harder and harder to put stuff into boxes like for example like music like there's a lot of artists that combined everything like they're doing like they can do at, in one track can be it can emulate like pop R&B country all at the same time yeah. And it's hard for, like, for example, like iTunes when you have to tag it. It's like alternate, alternate, alternate pop, R&B. And like they put everything together because it's, it's mashed up together. But then eventually I feel like every kind of label is just going to, it's not going to be necessary anymore. Because my generation and the generation after me, and we just don't care about those kind of details. It's, it's going to be irrelevant. So I'm really glad about that, to be honest. Mm-hmm. And um, so you moved to Toronto and you were developing learning your craft. Um, one thing I, one thing a lot of people think in anything they do is that things come fast and they want things fast. And especially in my generation and the generation after me, we have everything like in demand. We have everything like in our phones and everything yes. is like quick, quick and easy. Like the internet especially is like enables that. So how long did it take you to reach to a level where you can then open up your you build enough clientele and then you can go ahead and feel confident enough to open up your own shop. Like what exactly is the steps that you did and how long did it take? Because I cannot stress this enough. Like nothing is overnight. There's, there's nothing with overnight success. I don't believe in that. So how long did it take you to, to develop that craft of being a hairdresser and then opening up your shop? I totally agree with you. Like, I see that a lot too. Just, you know, I talk to people so much every single day um, that I hear, I hear a constant, like you said, with your generation and stuff like that. Like, um, I just got out of school and I want to start, start my job, but I want to make a hundred thousand and, you know, and I want four weeks vacation and, you know, mm-hmm. and I want the office with the window and la la. And there are cases where sure that happens, but it takes if you really want to do something and you want to do it well and you want to be able to have sustainability, then you have to put in hard work because I like what you said, nothing in this world comes for free and it doesn't come easy. And if it comes easy, you have to wonder if it's worth having. Um, and you know, you have to work hard every single day and I do and you do. And it's, you know, it's one of those things where I don't know, like, I don't play the lottery because I don't believe mm-hmm. in it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it is just pure luck. Yeah. Right. So uh, what am I going to do? Spend $20 a week and play the lottery, mm-hmm. but I could put that $20 a week away and then I might have a lottery winning at the end of the year or something. Right. But so it's the same thing. Like I went to school and it was hard because I was 32. I was like, Oh, I'm going to start my career over again. And I'm 32. I'm going to go to school again. I'm going to pay for that again. You know, all of these things you like get to a certain level and then you're like going to start, you know, it's like get yeah. to the bottom, go right back down, you know? And so it, it doesn't come quick or easy. That's for sure. I worked hard to get where I was. I did a lot to do what I could do to make myself 
known and to put my name out there, I did things for free a lot. Um, you know, like when you start out with things, don't get upset if you're not getting paid for it because there's a lot of, you know, people that are like, Oh, you want to, you want to do this and experience it. Well, I'll give you that experience, but you're new and you don't know anything. So I'm not paying you. And that's really common in hair. It's common in music. It's common in fashion. And I would do a lot of fashion shows for free for a long time too, not just one or two for years Mm -hmm. because you're young and you're just, you're still learning. And even though I was 33, I was young in the industry and I was still learning and I wanted to get all the experience I could. So you do things like that and then you start to make, you know, a name for yourself. So then when you, when you're doing it, then you start getting these other gigs that are like, Oh, this is a paid gig. That's amazing. And it's the same with the salon. Like I had a clientele and then I had to build that up, build it up. And then I was able to open up my salon and, you know, and I still like, I still, every day I've had my salon, it'll be this year in May, it'll be 10 years. And, um, and I still take new clients. Like I'm not that salon owner that's not receiving new clients right now. Like I still take new clients because you, you know, you turn away person, you're turning away money. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's constant every day you work hard, you know, it's Sunday and we're working. And when I'm done here, I'm going to go home and I'm going to work more, (laughs) you know, but it's Sunday. So I'm not in the studio. So that's kind of nice. I'm able to do it from home, Mm -hmm. but you know, like you take your time here and there for your own pleasure. And then you you just work a lot. Yeah, for sure. I, I honestly feel that. And whenever, when I hear people like, cause what I noticed, like the common pattern from friends and and family that are around my age or younger than me, it's like society has this this image that they paint. It's like, okay, if you do these steps right, then you're going to have at this time in your life, you're going to have this and that. But also people need to understand that in life, you can plan in how much you want to plan how your life will go but life has its own plans in store for you and eventually what you think is right for you won't be right for you in like the long run so i feel like a lot of people they think that if they go to school for maybe like 10 15 years and then when they get out of school then right away they're gonna find the job you know and then they're gonna be in the office like you said like have the windows and the rooms and but a lot of people and statistically it shows that when you finish college or university it takes the average person around like five five years or more to work in their field so that translates for anything in life like if you want to be a hairdresser or you want to work in the entertainment business or anything, especially when you're trying to be your own boss, it's going to take even more longer because you have to build your reputation. Like you start off with no reputation and building your reputation takes time. So I feel I feel that it is it's very true. And I admire anyone who goes outside the box and especially when you're like 32 and then you decide to switch your career usually some people will settle you know they don't like their job but they settle in life and then they become so miserable so i'm i feel i feel that the step that you took to uh, 
uh, like 32 to like you're like okay i'm not happy and i'm gonna change it instead of just like living in the misery i don't see a lot of adults doing that so it's very interesting to to because i thought you did that when you were i thought you just started out being a hairdresser all the time and then you wanted that's what you wanted but then you told me you were you were in the entertainment industry and then i was just like oh whoa that's insane yeah it was uh I yeah I've, I've been working for a long time. My parents both had their own businesses, so I started working for my dad when I was thirteen, and it was fine because it was like a part time weekend job, and it was my dad's business. But I think I started to see that from other people that they they weren't happy working, right? And so you you start to see this as a young person, and I'm like, oh, I don't I don't want that to be me, and when I'm an adult, I don't want that to be my future, and so. I got that advantage, like thankful to my parents. I, I was, I was very lucky. My parents, uh, they didn't come from money or anything like that, but I saw them work really hard in their careers. My dad owned his own business. My mom was also a hairstylist. She owned her own business. Um, and so I got, I was able to see that, that working hard will help you get with the things that you want. Mm-hmm. And so I was really lucky to have that, uh, them as examples um, at, for parents. And I think, um, when, when I was in the, you know, when I did go to school for film and then I was in the film industry, you know, I was just kind of like seeing the same thing. And it reminded me of when I was younger working for my dad and seeing other people that weren't happy. And I was just like, Oh no, this is what I wanted to avoid, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I, you know, I, and I wasn't happy. Like I, like I had one job where I was working on the show and I had one day off a week and it was Sunday, but so there were things that I couldn't do like, and then you can't like, just, you really can't take a day off and film unless it's really important. So I had everything to do on that day. I had to do my laundry. I had to like, you know, everything, see my family, mm-hmm. you know, it was, it was not really fun at all. And I wasn't enjoying life at all. And so I think, um, in the moment when I decided it, I think that I, I kind of like blank out of what the negatives will be <laughs> and I just yeah. go for it. Cause if I didn't, I probably wouldn't do it. So you just kind of put your head down and you do it. And yeah. like I said, I, I remember sitting in that first day of hair school and I was just like, did I just do, you know, like, Oh my God, I must be mental. Like I have serious issues, but then I was just like, uh, just do it. I'm here. I paid for it. I got to do it. Yeah. And it paid off. Like I'm happy. I, I, I I have a good crew that works for me. Um, you know, we're all a little weird and strange and, but we all get along and we get, we appreciate that about each other. We always say that we're the nerds of the hairstyling community because, uh, you know, we're kind of geeky and we like, look, we're always in the back looking on our phones about like, Oh my God, look at this balayage and how they're doing that. And this is amazing. Look at those techniques, Mm -hmm. you know? And, um, but I'm, you know, I feel pretty lucky. So what inspired you to start the dress code project? I like two and a half years ago had a client who's a transgender woman and I cut her hair. And when she left, she tweeted like a day later that that was the first time she had a haircut and felt like a woman. And it was lovely to see a tweet that you made someone feel good. But then 
it was awful because she was 34, 36 years old. I can't remember exactly. And I thought, and I know that she had been transitioned for a couple of years at least. So I thought that really sucks that this is like the first time that she's felt like a woman getting a haircut. Like that's not right. And I thought someone needs to do something about that. And then I didn't do anything. And, um, and then I realized that no one heard me when I said that in my head. And, um, and that no one was actually doing anything about it. So I still didn't do anything. And then a couple of months later, I was just like, this is stupid. I remember how I felt when I was younger and I really did not want to look like a girl. So I wanted to cut my hair and I wanted to like be as like androgynous as I could be. And then I thought about this girl that I, I, whose hair I did and how she must've felt. And so I thought I'm going to start talking to people and I'm going to see if this happens a lot, I started doing research. Um, my lovely partner is, is super research oriented and helped me a lot. And I have a very, very good friend who is also super research oriented and helped me a lot. And together, the three of us found a lot of information about like folks that needed help with this sort of service because of the same reasons. Like we, we kind of, it's kind of become our tagline because we say it a lot, but it's, it's, um, we say like, look the way you feel. And what we mean by that is like, I'm sure you've probably experienced this. I know I have before I was totally happy with my physical look and presentation. I had an idea in my head of what I looked like. And I would look in the mirror sometimes and I'd be like, that's not what I look like in my head. In my head, I look way different, you know? Mm -hmm. And, um, and so what that, that was like, I was like, how many people are experiencing this? And it turned out that a lot of people were experiencing this. So I started to talk to, uh, youth group organizers and counselors and like, see if I could talk to the youth that they dealt with within the LGBTQ community. And so I would talk to them about hair and they taught me a lot in return as well. And, you know, and it just became this like really symbiotic like relationship where we would just, I would learn, they would learn. And, um, and then after doing like two and a half years of kind of workshops and research and all of that, I, in 2017 of April, I launched the dress code project on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. And I sent out about 25 emails to salon owners in the city that I, I knew some of them, some of them I didn't, but I felt like they would be good with everything. And I got some really amazing responses. Um, and it took a bit, a, a bit more time with barbershops because that's a whole different culture on its, on its own. Um, but right away, a lot of the salons in Toronto were really receptive and, um, and that's kind of how things got going. So on the dress code project, is there, because here, here is different, right? There's whole type of different hair textures. Like for example, like there's coarser hair, tighter curls, like type 4C hair. Like that's like my kind of like hair type so is there is there also like on the dress code project is there any salons or barbers that are like well versed in maybe like coarser hair on the on like the site or that are involved um we definitely have a lot of stylists and barbers that know how to cut all types of hair 
Um, in school, we're not ta- taught how to tight, like cut a type of hair so much. We're taught how to do haircuts and we're taught how to hold the hair and how to hold our scissors and how to hold our scissors and our hands together. And we're taught about texture and wave and density and things about hair, but not actually like, this is how you do a hair that is like super tight curl that is really long. This is how you do super tight curl that's short or really, really, really coarse hair that's straight. Like we're not really taught that. It's sort of up to you to learn it. And the way you learn it is through through experience by doing it. And yeah, there's tons of salons that are really well versed in all types of hair, um, texture, density, everything, you know, styling, all of it. Um, we don't necessarily list that on the website because for us, it's like, here's where you could go to be in a safer space. And then you can get information off of their website because we list their website. Okay. Yeah. So that's enough interrogation <laughs> for this week's episode. I hope that people learn more about you, you know, in your background. I, I definitely did. I learned a lot. You you surprised me, so that's pretty good. So during the ending of my episode, what I do is I ask my guest uh, a awkward moment that has happened to them in their life or... And it's called Queer Awkward Moments, you know, play on words because queer, awkward, and black. So was there any awkward moment that have happened in your life that you want to share? It could be present in the past. It doesn't matter. Yeah, uh, I kind of already shared it. So um, what I didn't say to you earlier was that the girl that I had a crush on in high school, Jennifer, um, she, the, the first girl that I ever had a crush on, um, she is, is currently my girlfriend and, um, we've been together now as a couple for four years. But when I first met her, I was incredibly awkward because I was not expecting to a meet someone like her. I was not expecting her to like make me have the reaction that I did. Like it, it was it was immediate because she's beautiful in my eyes and then she's an amazing person but that immediate uh, upon meeting like again i'm pretty sure my face went really red i i know that i got sweaty <laughs> and i know that i was just staring at her for a little while and she said hi to me and it felt like hours before i said hi back it was probably just a few seconds but i that was definitely an awkward moment because in the, that moment i was like in my head had this dialogue that i was like what's happening what's going on and then i was like oh my god this is what it feels like to like like someone you know yeah. and i had all of those immediate so blood is rushing to my face and as, as you can see i'm very pale so <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah butterflies all of it that is definitely the most awkward moment of my life i've had many more of after that but that's like the most awkward and probably like the nicest result of an awkward moment yeah because now you're together so now we're together and she's amazing yeah exactly (laughs) she's amazing can i give a little plug for the dress code yeah yeah so if you want to find us we are uh the dress code project.com that's our website uh on instagram it's uh the dress code project and on facebook it's the dress code project yeah, definitely check them out. They're doing some great work out there. So my awkward moment that I'm like looking through my mind because I have a lot. When I used to go to church when I was younger. Um, so basically, 
there's like there's the audience the audience and then there's like the pulpit and then there's seats right so that during like that week i needed to like sit on like the pulpit because i was like saying this scripture that to like introduce a prayer so like while i'm sitting down like when i while i was sitting on like the platform and like facing like the the audience i i don't wear skirts because i don't know how to keep my legs <laughs> closed <Yeah. laughs> they, they naturally tend to just like spread apart you know no matter how much i try to keep them close together both doing that. yeah i know <laughs> So I was like sitting there and then like I tried my best to like keep my legs closed and then I guess like subconsciously I stopped trying and then my legs like spread apart and then and then like everyone could see my underwear. I didn't know that, but like after after when everything was done, like one of the members came to me and they were just like you know, when you were sitting up there, your legs were like wide open and everyone could see your underwear. And I was just like, nice. That's lovely. That's lovely. At least you found out after. Because I feel like it's not good either way. But had you found out during, yeah, that would have been awful. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I think I would die from embarrassment, but... Did you ever wear a skirt again well, yeah. The only, honestly, the only time I wear a skirt or dress is every time I had to go to church. Yeah. So it's once a week, and then that was it. But yeah, it was such a challenge to keep my legs closed when I was wearing a skirt or a dress. But yeah, so that's my awkward moment. <laughs> so thanks for being on the podcast. It was great. Yeah, thanks for having us. It was. So if you want to follow the dress code project, is at the dress code project on twitter instagram and facebook so thanks for watching and stay awkward